you know, the dental arches I see today are incredibly, um, you know, incredibly maladapted to what should be there. We should have 32 human teeth. I don't see kids that grow jaws that, that, um, that have any capacity to be able to fit these things. And there's a whole kind of swathe of reasons for that. But um, it's in its root cause, it is, is completely based in deviating from the ancestral diet. That is Dr. Stephen Lynn Legends, and you are listening to the Epic Table Podcast. Welcome back, team, to another installment of the Epic Table. Last weekend was pretty exciting. We had Rich Roll in town for 10,000, launching his new line with the brand, which is Epic. Uh, and we got a nice little run in around Central Park, which was really, really cool. Of course, we uh, you know got an awesome community we're building with the 10,000 team. So it was really cool to see some familiar faces out there as well. Legends, this week, I'm so stoked to finally get this absolute legend of a man onto this show. Now, I've known Dr. Stephen Lin for some time. I first met him, I think about four or five years ago in New York City. Uh, man, I was still finding my feet then. But yeah, it was uh, really cool to have someone like Stephen just, you know, is in my network essentially because his world is, I still think, truly untapped, but it tells such an amazing story about our development, uh, you know, the impact of certain things on our on diseases, and it's all through looking at the teeth, the jaw, everything through the mouth. So this book, The Dental Diet, really changed my perspective on looking at history through the lens of uh, you know, the, the, the mouth in general. And so what he's done with this book is talked about the impact of certain things over time and using obviously the history and the development of our mouths and how we've changed and how certain diseases have developed over time, the impact of the Western diet uh, on old cultures, traditional tribes, how that's, uh, you know, things that weren't around years ago now are the impact on the agricultural boom now i'm not to say that obviously the agricultural boom is uh definitely to some degree really required for us and our ability to continue to develop as a society but it was just really interesting to hear his perspective on how we can look at the teeth and determine the development or how individuals no longer have certain things how the change in the jaw structure uh, has altered over time and the reasons for this. He's going to go into that. It's really interesting to hear that. He talks about how obviously refined sugar being introduced is a big problem in general, anything refined overall. But he talks about mainly what we're really excited to introduce is we've talked about the gut-brain connection. What about the mouth-brain connection? Talks about this awesome nerve, similar to like the vagus nerve, if you will, which is the connection between the brain and the gut. In this episode, we talk about the similar... Uh, relationship between the mouth and the brain through the general. You're about to hear about this bloke. He's awesome. He's an awesome nerve. But ultimately, guys, really excited for you guys to take away and understand how your teeth can help tell the story, not only about your development, but obviously how the impact of your food is told over time through your teeth. You know, obviously, we've seen what happens when you have forensics. They look at teeth over time because they're the last thing to decompose. Well, what if we take that and look at our diets, uh, obviously what we're eating, there's some tribes that have never been introduced to Western society foods. And once they are, we see the true impact they have on the development of those, those cultures. One thing we cannot disagree is that eating more plants is going to be one way to help look after those teeth, get your strong bones going, obviously, as well, and look after your gut and that brain as well. So, uh, obviously, we need the prebiotics, the probiotics to look after that gut health. We need to get all the dietary fiber in as well, and the 75 micronutrients that I get from Athletic Greens every single day is a way to do that. So, big fan of if I looked at my teeth ever since I started working with Athletic Greens, which is over six years ago, and seeing if they've really helped my development, I'm sure they would. I mean, it's definitely a subjective view, but the fact that they contain all the things that I need to thrive, uh, obviously in, in you know the B12 is one thing, calcium, magnesium, like just name them, they just keep dropping. But Ultimate Team, I have this every single day, either cold, water, and just the scoop, or in one of my recent awesome smoothies that I'm posting at danjoshua.com as well. So if you want to break your fast like I do every single day with Athletic Greens, head to athleticgreens.com 
forward slash epic and you will get the five travel packs for free which i use to go whenever i travel which i'm very blessed to be able to do right now and then along with that you have that wonderful for a full free year the vitamin d3 which if you head to danchurchill.com we'll be able to you know tell you more about that vitamin itself so athleticgreens.com forward slash epic take it away dr stephen lynn Dr. Stephen Lin, my friend, an Amazon bestseller, all-around good bloke, and anyone who wants dental advice, you are the number one person I always refer to. Welcome to the Epic Table podcast, my man. Hey, Dan. It's great to finally catch up. We've been kind of trying for a while now, but we're, we're here and on the other side of the world. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, I, uh, I want to preface to everyone that both you and I do work uh, outside of recording podcasts. So you may hear a phone call inside uh, Stephen's practice or you hear some you know, chefs washing up or processing some goodies in the background. So one or the other just shows you guys there will be some- experience, it, right? Exactly, exactly. Just want to preface the context as always. But man, just want to lay the foundations for our background. Uh, mate, I met you a number of years ago now in, in uh, New York. You're traveling here with- um, you know, you were writing your book, um, The Dental Diet, and, you know, you and I caught up through a mutual friend and it was just kind of like one of those things where I was in a space where I love just learning about the human body, part of my studies, and you were just an expert in this field. But I really didn't understand how much of an expert you were, man, until I read your book. Um, and from there, I just went into a black hole, <laughs> a massive black hole of uh, understanding your philosophy, the studies that you've obviously been fortunate part of and referenced. But um, I, I think what I'm excited to you know bring to the community today, my man, is just the understanding of how much the 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 I guess our our dental uh, how would you a dental framework, if you will, has such a beautiful. Um, it's, it's a canvas to understanding more about a human body. It's the best way I can kind of understand it. But mate, before we go into that, I just, uh, I want to kind of understand your, like your direction of being a dentist and, and did you always love, you know, getting in the chair and have some, someone look down your, look down into your mouth a bit, mate? Is, is that what actually got you interested? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, actually just thinking back to that, the time, uh, when we met, yeah, it was, it, it's interesting how, you know, kind of we gravitated, you know, in terms of, the, you know, the, the same principles in terms of, you know, good food, good health, and, you know, how we come at it from different different angles. You know, you had this this kind of sports and cooking philosophy. And then, um, you know, the for me, I was kind of just feeling out this whole, you know, where I fit into that whole picture. It was, it was interesting to see, you know, someone like you who was really kind of at the, at the coalface, you know, helping people, um, you know, connect to better food and, and, you know, how it connects to the energy and so forth. And yeah, it's just an interesting journey now that I think about when you bring that up <laughs> to where I am now, but, um, <laughs> yeah, like it, teeth, uh, you know, as you say, it really, they really do tell, a an intricate and ancient story as to how, um, you know, human health has been around that planet for a very long time. Um, and so for me as a dentist, I was actually, I was, I was always, you know, dentistry for me was something, it was practical that I could help people with. So that was why I chose it, um, you know, in, you know, opposition to medicine, I thought, you know, I'm going to be able to actually, um, you know, practice these skills uh, quicker and we're going to be, you know, helping people faster. Um, yeah, but the once I kind of got into the chairs, it was it was a little bit of a um, – I, I was a little bit underwhelmed with the what um, – how I could impact people's lives. The dental skills are very profound in terms of, you know, the, the – the clinical and the um, you know, mechanical understanding you have of the mouth is is very kind of detailed, and it's it's a difficult job, really is a difficult, stressful job, um, and so that part of it really is kind of takes up a lot of your your dental mind. But then there was this other part of my mind thinking about you know what's actually happening beyond just the teeth, you know, in the patient's body, and I was you know began to start looking you know into um, you know deeper processes, you know, when patients would ask me, you know, why, you know, do some children, for instance, have holes in their teeth or why did I have holes in my teeth? My siblings didn't. Um, why does this child have crooked teeth? Why does this one not? Why do crooked teeth happen at all? These kind of questions just started popping up and there weren't really good answers in my training. And so I started to kind of dig a little bit deeper 
and found there weren't a lot of good answers in um, you know kind of your, your secondary conventional um, uh, textbooks. So I was actually kind of led um, away from that a little bit, you know, vi- w- with the idea that I thought I didn't know if I could practice dentistry for the rest of my life. I've, it felt a little bit unfulfilling, like I was kind of patching over problems and not really getting to the root cause. Um, yeah, so I, I, I took some time off and um, went to, uh, I, was, I was in Europe and I actually came across this book via, it was by accident, um, and it's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price. I'd never heard of it. In seven years of um, you know, tertiary education, I'd never been told about this, the book um, that was written in the 1930s by a, a Canadian dentist who practiced in Ohio and went all around the world looking at ancestral cultures and how the food and that they ate and their modern diet, how the modern diet actually brought on all of the uh, dental issues that we were seeing in the chair. So that kind of cracked my perspective on, um, on what dental disease was. And it took me a few years then to kind of go back and assimilate and actually understand what that was. And I actually discounted it to start with because, because I thought, well, you know, look, I'm a, a you know, a, a trained graduated dentist, you know, practicing and I've never heard of this. So it must be um, debunked or it must be disproven. And, but what I found was that as I started to kind of flick back through the pages years later, I actually found that I didn't understand what he was talking about. The processes that he was talking about uh, were actually things that I didn't, I wasn't considering in understanding disease processes and pathophysiology in my patients and then that led me to start to try and dig deeper and think about you know what actually was going on yeah man i i can understand for someone like how long were you doing um like what's the what's the process of being a dentist man like just want to understand that before i kind of go on here because i'm assuming there's your standard curriculum based learnings for a given period like how, how long is that yeah well so the actual um the actual training is seven years, and so I did the first three years. You can do, um, you know, more or less a training of your kind of choice. I, I did biomedical science, um, so for three years, so I, I had kind of a good grounding in anatomy, physiology, and then you go into the kind of medical crossed um, training, which is like the all the, the diseases, all the, the anatomy and so forth that the doctors do in their first two years, and then you go into in the last three years, you start to cross um, into clinical dentistry. So you, you have all these bases and then you start to practice dentistry based in the last three years of the seven that you've studied. That's like why it's so interesting because I, I can only imagine after sticking the course of something for a given time, then all of a sudden to realize that something doesn't make sense to you and all of a sudden you have to break <laughs> you break I guess your conventional initial learnings right and and go against that a little bit and dive a little bit further and do your own um it, it use your own initiative to kind of like go well hang on a second why does this not make sense but this is where it's interesting to me and I remember distinctly like having my mind blown we look we look a lot about you know teeth um in you know uh when we're looking at forensics as a way of telling a, telling a story for, you know, a period of time. Um, I believe that you actually mentioned this book. We can look at, we can trace back. How long can we trace back teeth from? Like what's the, what's the ancestry we can go to back to? Teeth provide our most ancient footprints of human records. You know, you, you find, because the jawbone is the most robust in that lasts in the human um, anthropological record. So, Basically, our oldest records of human ancestors are in teeth and skulls, and yeah. So, it, it, but anthropologists study teeth in, in a lot of detail because it's often what they what they find. You know, you find you know the the thigh bones and so forth, but the more so the, the dense jaw and skull bones what we find. So, they're always trying to analyze what people ate. Um, and, and, you know, in the more recent skulls, you can kind of take, they do plaque analysis and so forth. Um, but we're talking, so back to, you know, 12,000 years ago, which is the agricultural revolution, what we call it. Um, and then well beyond that, you know, we're talking, you know, there are skulls hundreds of thousands of years old and you know, the, the record of teeth is far longer than, um, you know, the, the, what we're perceiving. And, and what really struck me with, 
when I started to look at this is that the modern dental disease that we see today doesn't exist in the anthropological re- record in any way or form. You talk to any anthropologist and they laugh at you when you ask them about dental disease because it just didn't happen. It's only in the last blip, which is 12,000 years, which is actually a very, very small part of the record that you start to see the modern disease that we have today. And that's that's a crazy notion to me that what I'm seeing every day, I see it in every single patient that walks in, that this didn't exist for the the very large majority of the times that humans have been on the planet. Like that's a huge point that we just brush over for some reason. Yeah, man. Like, like we talk about millions upon millions of years and you look at the 12,000 past years of the agricultural boom and, um, you know, what that – I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say like, obviously there's certain things that's also helped with in, in development of a, of a civilization, but it's just interesting that our records and as you just said, like the teeth and the jaw and to some degree that the skull are really great storytellers of everything from, um, you know, how we chewed, what we ate, uh, what <laughs> minimalist diseases we would have had based on the food we're eating. And this is the part that really just opened me up to really go, okay, hang on a second. So if we've been using our teeth for some time to tell a story based on, you know, um, you know, things outside of typical diseases and maybe more about, you know, some, some more common things we've seen in forensics, as I said earlier, and now we're looking at that, like you're highlighting, them. okay, well, why are we looking at them from the same perspective of diseases? It's so interesting that you now put two and two together because, as you're kind of alluding to and as your book, The Dental Diet, refers to, the Western diet, what is today, it was, it was not around 12,000 years ago. And as you said, the, the diseases that you are now, you know, you're seeing daily in, in your clinic were just not existing back then. Yeah, totally. And you're absolutely right in saying that there are advantages to civilization. Like there's no question in that, um, you know, humans have achieved, you know, remarkable things from, you know, being able to control our environment and, you know, have available resources, you know, at our, at our fingertips. There's absolutely no argument that, that, um, there's an advantage to that. But the, the flip side that we've, we haven't seen is that there's, has, come a cost to our health and um there's actually kind of i actually think there's a few um marker points here that we're we're, we're seeing that are really kind of accelerating because twelve thousand years is the first point so actually price wrote about this in his book he said that if you draw out the skull record of of um human ancestors um and he would go to all um he went to 12 different cultures around the world and looked at people that had lived with um the ancestral diet in the 30s, so not very long ago, this is less than 100 years ago, had no dental disease. And then the people around them that had lived with um, Western society, so that had modern foods, and he found that in one generation, the teeth deteriorated. So that they absolutely, the, the, the um, tooth decay rose to modern um, rates and the arch just collapsed. Like, so, so you know, kids began to have crooked teeth. Um, and But then when he looked at the skull record, he said, you can draw this out. And so if you thought of a, um, a piece of string that was a mile long, the last 12,000 years would be, you know, barely a fingertip long on that string. So this is how long we're talking about that dental disease has existed. Now, when you zoom into that 12,000 years, that's a long time. So that's how long we've been actually agriculturally raising um Farm animals, we find this in the, the Fertile Crescent, um, you know, pigs, cows, and goats all start to pop up then. Um, and also, too, um, grains. And so that's the first time all the different grains pop up in this area. And this is what we call the agricultural revolution. And that's when the human diet, we know, changed significantly. And then from here, you see this slow, steady rise of um, dental diseases popping up. So in the, the skull record, you start to see they had tooth decay. Um, but the, what they... What they find um, in these earliest stages around the um, agricultural revolution, say, you know, early Egyptian records and so forth, is that you have tooth decay, but it's not modern disease. So you actually get a really big increase once you hit the industrial revolution, which is, you know, two, three hundred years, three hundred years ago. Um, and this is when we started to um, industrially produce sugar, flowers and so forth, you know, really kind of ramping up um 
you know, what we could produce, you know, refined vegetable oils that started to pop up then too. Um, and then uh, I really think that there was a, a, you know, a third big kick, which really happened probably in the seventies to eighties, um, you know, which is in, you know, just as our lifetimes were starting um, when, you know, refined food really kind of got on steroids and packaged foods became a norm. You know, you got, you know, the, the dairy kind of industry was kind of overrun with things like low fat and stuff like that. Um, the whole thing changed. And now we're sitting, you know, a couple of decades into this last kind of revolution and we're really experiencing the um, the side effects of not eating you know, the diets that we were ancestrally brought up on. You know, the dental arches I see today are incredibly, um, you know, incredibly maladapted to what should be there. We should have 32 human teeth. I don't see kids that grow jaws that, that, um, that have any capacity to be able to fit these things. And there's a whole kind of swathe of reasons for that. But um, it's in its root cause, it is, is completely based in, deviating from the ancestral diet so interesting and and so when you say the arch what are you referring to there mate yeah the dental arch so the if you think of your the line that your teeth so the smile line so so when we think of the dental arch it's how the teeth line up so a dental arch you know should be kind of like a u shape if you put your your hand in a u shape you think of the teeth sitting along the the u now dental arch shapes are not so much u-shape anymore and more v-shaped because the the bone is so thin um it the teeth have to kind of fit into a sharp v-shaped um form so if you the way you look at that is if you look in the mirror and you open your mouth and and um put look up to the roof you'll see the shape of your palate and so if you have a u-shaped palate that's the kind that's more of the ancestral kind of human um maxilla shape which is the upper jaw and then the v-shape is actually if you look into most kids mouth you're going to see this high v-shaped palate which is an underdeveloped upper jawbone um, and that's why we get crooked teeth because the teeth have to fit into the jawbone that's why kids need braces today because there's not enough room because the bone is underdeveloped so when the dental arch doesn't grow to a wide u-shape we get these teeth that are all jammed and crammed in and what we do is at 12 to 13 we orthodontically diagnose them and then we, we drag them back with a metal braces um which works to an extent uh but it doesn't get to the root cause as to why on earth are these teeth not growing into their proper form and proportions yeah, okay. So with that in mind, and I've got a number of questions on what you previously just said, but just just quickly, is uh, if you, I mean, if you're a child between the age of 12 and 13, is there something you could have done you know, earlier in life? Or is this something that, you know, as, a, as an adult, it's more prevalent towards um, like a responsibility of their development that then carries on as a dominant gene? Or is it something like in the lifestyle factors of when the kid's growing up, they are not providing the right you know, in your opinion, foods that will help development of the jawbones. It's everything you just mentioned and more. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like, wow. yeah, like the craniofacial system is like this super sensitive, um, you know, epigenetic listening organ that is taking everything from its environment, right from even preconception. So from now we're seeing all these factors in preconception, um, you know, what, how you know the nutrient levels in the the mother and father before the child was conceived, and then the other factors that um, that influence during um, as the fetus is growing are the vitamin D levels. So how much bone the um, the the baby has resources to take minerals and put it into their skeletal system. You know this is, we know that we are you know roughly eighty percent of the population vitamin D deficient, and pregnant women pass this on to the kids. And so when the bones aren't getting the the messages, then they cannot place and um, place minerals, and they cannot um, send the, the growth signals through hormones to grow properly. Um, and then so what happens is that if you have the same problem in a mother, they don't breathe very well which we'll probably talk about. But so when a mother has uh, sleep and breathing issues, when they've got a, a child in their, their belly, then the, the child gets a hypopnic um, uh, message. Like It's like growing up in high altitude. So if you've ever heard of um, high altitude training um, or, or 
we know that babies born at high altitude are often smaller because they get this low oxygen message. So we're giving that to our children from the, the get-go because our jaws aren't grown. So all those things kind of swirl around in 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 the womb, um, but then birthing practices really affect the craniofacial um, growth messages as well. We have the tongue and, and breastfeeding interface. So tongue ties are a big issue in kids, which is a whole other issue. Um, and then with breastfeeding, breastfeeding sends the messages for the tongue to seal to the roof of the mouth and grow the palate. A lot of kids either um, they don't breastfeed or they have improper swallowing actions that don't properly um, connect to the palate and grow the upper jaw. So those are the things kind of early in life. Then as the kid grows, it's breathing. So breathing through the nose. So kids that don't breathe through the nose, which is endemic now. Um, if you look at kids today, you'll see open lips, tongue down, breathing through the mouth. Um, and then you, it becomes a postural problem then. And then so once the growth uh, trajectory is down, the, the kid will breathe in a certain way. They'll start to snore at night or their mouth breathe at night. Um, and the jaws never receive the um, you know, kind of mechanical messages to grow properly. Put that on top of a soft diet and a nutrient um, poor diet, then you've got jaws that just don't grow. So between um, between the ages of, uh, you know, say two to five, where the, 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 the milk teeth come uh established uh there's a there's a host of warning signs that are often missed um you know the bites can be off pacifier use bottle use can all interrupt this um and then as the mixed dentition starts to come in which is six to seven um five six seven um, you start to see that there's this huge adult teeth sitting in their jaw bones and the kid doesn't have space for it and then this is the time that you can intervene so right now between five and 12 is when a kid is hyperplastic to grow. Their jaws are about to expand to fit an adult dentition. Um, it's roughly three times the amount of um, space that they need compared to their, um, their, their their kids' teeth and they lose them all over that time. Um, in that time, if you can actually mechanically push and teach the child to um, to functionally use their their tongue and breathe through the nose at night and the jaw will change on its own. And if you use dental, we, it's called my functional orthodontics. You can actually grow the, the, the jaw and correct the, the cause of the, um, the functional issues and the, the, often the um, dental arch will correct itself. So the kid will get straight teeth. So that's what we practice is, um, and this is what really I've, I've gone into the last three years is that how we intervene in this clinically. Um, and so the standard orthodontic model is all about, um, dragging the teeth once they're set. But if you get in early and you intervene, uh, then you can actually prevent braces and you can actually prevent all of the issues that cause them. It's really important because people with stunted, crooked arches or orthodontically um, corrected arches without addressing the issues, they have the breathing and postural issues that that plague them for the rest of their life. So your mouth breathes, um, it's, it's often disrupt his sleep because uh, people with teeth grinding, for instance, that's a sympathetic drive from the brain to open the airway with poor tongue posture. These things are why we have a billion people on the planet now, and this is conservative, that have sleep apnea. And that's really scary because sleep apnea is linked in the literature to heart disease, blood pressure, stroke, and dementia and Alzheimer's which is a huge one. Dementia and Alzheimer's we know has a huge rooting in sleep apnea because the brain cannot clear its lymphatic system and it spends most of its time through the night you know, trying to monitor the airway instead of actually just clearing out all of the things it's been doing through the day. Yeah, this is where the like the initial intro I made at the start around how you know the the <laughs> effectively the mouth is a canvas. It is a canvas for so many uh, ways to read issues, things going on around the cyst. Now you started with the jaw. You, you talked about the difference in that U and versus the the more V and um, and then the yeah, I guess the 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 catalyst that it creates in the the problems with with sleep and breathing um we can then talk about eventually like the, the connection between and i think you refer ref, like refer this a lot between the gut and like the microbiome and, and and what else is going on there and then yeah this is why this is so interesting it's like teeth to me prior to meeting you were a way of i guess masticating and helping break down food but now i look at them a way of 
you know, ultimately telling a story about our health, but also the directions that we've previously taken and the like the occurrences of which may have had a, a pretty detrimental effect on everything else that's going on around us. And so, you know, not trying to scare people by any means, just trying to help be realistic about it. Um, but you, you've also referenced a number of, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty obvious studies or just even, um, you know, observational means where you look, you take some of these tribes in some of the most remote regions of, I, I believe it was Africa, right, Stephen, where they, they effectively looked at their, their teeth, their jawline, um, and they didn't have, and then the, these remote, um, you know, villages and tribes were not open or, you know, have, had not been exposed to Western diets, um, you know, and they had the most beautiful smile with glorious teeth. Um, and then once exposed years later, you saw what happened and you know, how it created diseases and you the teeth. And then obviously what that occurred down the line. So was I right? Was it African, was it an African tribe, mate? It's, it's all across the planet. Yes. Yeah. So they've, they've studied this, you know, you find it, um, indigenous Australia, you find it, um, Pacific Islands, Africa, um, Asia, everywhere. It, human human society, human culture does not have dental disease before um, before the the consumption of modern industrialized food. And if you think about that too, no biological system has dental disease. You, you don't go out in the wild and see you know um, animals you know going to to the dentist or needing their tooth fixed because it just doesn't happen. Um, the only the only time it happens is in domesticated. Um, animals so in zoos so where they're fed um modern diets and um and in human human civilization it's the only place it happens and like we've just yeah you, you put it really well it's it's the teeth are exactly the um the warning point and the marker point of health and a, a good example of that is that when people buy um when if you buy a horse one of the first things a savvy horse purchaser will do is look um, look in its mouth and there's a saying you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth as in you know be grateful for something you give and don't check its value but the reason why they do that is because you're going to see quickly the health of the horse via its teeth like for instance you can see grinding issues you can see in- infection issues and whether it's going to be a, a good racehorse over its life and we just in for some reason in our society we've disconnected this we've you know, we've had this idea that teeth are this superficial thing that we, um, you know, we get whitened or we fix them up when they're broken, and that's it. And it's it's really a a really incomplete model of thinking of the body. It's not an easy way. There's, you know, like I have to say that it's been pretty difficult to unpick all this stuff. Um, and even since writing my book, actually, you know, I, I've just like the I'm in the process of writing my second book, which is still a while off, but the amount of information that has come through just from interpreting things by first looking at the mouth, you know, you, you said it quite well, as we look at the teeth, we understand a disease process in the mouth, and then you unpick what's going through the body. It just gives you so much more clarity and sense rather than trying to um, understand a very complex problem that's happening in organ systems and so forth without any context um, of the mouth first. And one great example actually is the gut microbiome. You know, we've seen when, probably when I met you actually, I was, you know, seeing, working with a lot of doctors, uh, functional medicine doctors that were, um, you know, working with uh, digestive problems. And because you know, these are things we see in the mouth, we see people with inflamed periodontal disease, gum disease, uh, ulcers and so forth. They often have gut issues. Um, but the problem is that uh, these people are trying to solve these gut issues without thinking of the whole system. You know, you swallow thousands of bacteria through the oral microbiome, the, the bacteria that live in your mouth, which is, um, you know, thousands per second. And so if you have a dysbiose or an unbalanced oral microbiome, you're going to dysbiose the gut microbiome. And we, we have, when you go, when people are trying to, to reprogram um, their guts or fix intestinal permeability or leaky gut now, they're not considering what's happening in the mouth. And a big picture of that is minerals and, and, and um, you know, the bone and the immune system, which the mouth can tell you in more detail rather than just getting sequences of the gut and thinking about purely digestive processes, um, which are important, but they're also a function of what's going on firstly in the mouth. Yeah, man. So dysbiosis, we've covered quite a lot with Dr. B and some other really solid gut health experts, man. And it makes a lot of sense. And the like, 
the commonalities between the link and of that between that and the mouth in general. One I would definitely want to kind of double click on a bit, man, is is that breathing aspect uh, you touched on earlier with obviously insufficient oxygen um, supply to the brain is just uh, yeah it's traumatic, and as you noted, you know insufficient oxygen in general during development um, has been shown to have an effect on our physical growth. So if we look at if we look at the actual uh, the, the makeup of the jaw for a second, and I want to kind of start by comparing it to our you know ancestors, whether it be Homo erectus or Homo sapiens. Um, you know, what, what's the biggest difference you've seen? So is it is it the amount of is it the density to the jaw over time that we've seen a dramatic change? And then how has that led to a, a huge change in the way that we now breathe specifically through our mouth more so than our nose. Yeah. So it, it, the most significant change you see um, is in that width of the upper jaw. So the upper jaw, if you think of your upper teeth, um, it sits in the maxilla bone. And so if you think of your, if you feel your cheekbone, so that's, you can, that's the maxilla bone. Um, and if you Google it, you'll, you'll see that there's this, um, there's, a bone that actually sit it, it houses your nasal sinuses, houses your upper teeth, and it houses the floor of the orbit, which is the eyes. A really, really important bone. <laughs> you, know, you know, arguably one of the most important. Um, but so when that bone is um, is uh, malformed, you can actually see it in the mouth. So it's that test where you open your mouth, look to the mirror, and you see the shape of your palate. Now, people with a um, a high palate. So if you touch the roof of your mouth and you have to go a long way up, that's an unusual presentation for a human maxilla bone. So if you look all through the records, you'll see big, wide, flat U-shape mag- um, up, upper palates. And that's what the human palate should be. And the reason being is that when the uh, palate is U-shaped like that, it forms the floor of the nasal sinus. So if you make that um, that shape with your hands, a U shape. Think about the volume sitting above that U. That's all airway space. Now make a V and, and look at how the volume above that V has changed compared to the U. When our palates are smaller like this, when they're underdeveloped, and this is what this is the big pattern that you see um, in the uh, skull records. Then the the teeth don't fit, but also you lose airway volume by definition. And so what's happening is this is slowly being collapsing as we stop we stop eating um, nourishing ancestral foods, and we um, and we stop breathing correctly, and we start functioning. Trying we survive, right? So breathing and the autonomic nervous system is an incredibly adaptive thing, and so are humans, to be honest. But there are with adaption comes consequences and the consequences are that when you breathe incorrectly, you suffer the issue. Your body, um, you know, goes through, you know, quite as you know, even traumatic as you put it, that it, it, it is literal trauma when your body's not breathing correctly, but we kind of, um, soldier on through it. So when that V that V shape volume is decreased, then you, um, your airway isn't as patent as what it should be. So in the upper airway, um, there are receptors that sense pressure. And what these pressure sensors do is they're, they're there for survival. Because if, if you have an increase in pressure in the upper airway, it means you're being strangled or choked. And so it's a survival response. And so what those pressure sensors sense when we have a smaller um, axilla, because they haven't changed so much, they send this signal to the brain that we are you know, in this choking response. And this is what happens when you go to sleep so when you're breathing incorrectly through the day, you probably don't notice it. But when you go to sleep, your all of everything switches off. All the muscles, uh, your outside muscle muscles, um, turn off, and then the pressure um, sensors uh, turn on. Well, they're, they're always been on, but they they they're they're left on to. And the autonomic nervous system, the breathing system, is just kind of you know pumping um, air in and out to keep you breathing at night and keeping everything. Um, turning over to keep your heart beating and everything oxygenated. But so when you have a lower volume, you get these, these um, warning signals going to the brain. And this is what um, sleep apnea is, is that what happens is that over time, as these warning signals um, disrupt your sleep, you get airway dysfunction. And so as your body, um, you know, basically loses the ability to breathe at night, you start to pause and you start to snore and you start to um, literally 
go 20 to 30 seconds. This is what sleep apnea is by definition, where there are multiple, you know, some people have, you know, 20 to 30 um, uh, apnoic moments in the night where they're not breathing for 30 seconds. Crazy. And so this is what's happening is that there's dysfunction in the autonomic um, management of the airway because at the root cause is because we've lost this architectural support for it. There are a host of other issues that happen because of that. So, for instance, the literal, the, the behavioral aspect of breathing, so learning to breathe through the nose. Um, so once you build a habit of breathing through the mouth or you get a, a sinus or um, immune issue that blocks up the nose, then you build a habit to breathe through the nose because it's uh, – sorry, the, the mouth because it's survival – um, and then also too is that we have this muscle system that's directed by the tongue um, that supports the throat, the neck, and everything that we don't use properly anymore. And this connects, should connect to the palate. And then when you don't have this ancestral um, oral posture of the tongue right up to the palate, you don't support the neck and the oral pharyngeal airway when you sleep either. So you have this double problem of the bones being um, smaller and the volume being less, and then the 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 soft tissues of the oropharyngeal area kind of closing in because we don't have the toned um, internal uh, tongue muscles posturing the airway as it should. So you've got this two-pronged issue that is, you know, why we have over a billion people on the planet um, with sleep apnea. This is crazy, man. This is absolutely crazy. So I, I want to take that all into account and I want to start thinking, I, I do want to go into – you know, a number of factors that you do reference, you know, in your work. But I want to talk a little bit about the dental diet specifically for a second. And I, I you know, refined sugar, processed, like highly processed foods are the obvious ones. But, mate, like since the, I would say, the agricultural revolution, what are some stuff that you've seen within our foods that have been absolutely traumatic um, that maybe would you know, suggests it's the not so obvious ones. Like, you know, we talk about all the time is trying to eat more plants, um, you know, r- remove processed foods, uh, obviously like highly processed vegetable oils and refined ingredients, refined sugars, et cetera, from your diet. And you will definitely just do a world of difference in general. But, you know, looking at what our ancestors ate and, you know, the way that we've developed over the years and just the, the things that you see, in both child, like children's jaws and, you know, even adults, what would you suggest are some of the things that we should be a bit more cautious of when we're looking to consume? Yeah, so the, um, the way that uh, Price observed ancestral cultures is that he, he looked at all of the different um, dietary uh, you know, componentry and, and like, even though people would eat, you know, different foods all around the world, he, he said, what's the common factor here? And what he found was that there in, in ancestral diets, there was a specific um, focus on foods rich in fat-soluble vitamins. And fat-soluble vitamins, that was, when, when I read that, it didn't kind of hit me straight away. Um, but it, Today, we just don't have any real – we've started to actually in the last 10 years probably we've started to talk about vitamin D more. Um, but fat-soluble vitamins in terms of your foods, you know, who really talks about that? You know, you don't really kind of get um, the idea that you should be thinking about, wh- you know, how much vitamin D you're eating from your foods and, and the delivery system that vitamin D comes with. And so you mentioned refined vegetable oils. And so um, vegetable oils are – you know what we've introduced into as as our fat packaging system and what this does is that it it's how your body packages fat soluble vitamins so your um your liver has to kind of absorb fats and then it'll put all the fat soluble vitamins vitamin a d and k2 which is what price found um as being the the central three factors for for a healthy human diet um and without the the proper fats, which we've taken away. So all of the refined vegetables we eat today completely disrupt our fat packaging system, which is the lipoproteins, blood cholesterols. Um, And so our blood cholesterols don't have the right capabilities to carry uh, these critical nutrients around the body. So I would say that the 
the harmful facts is we know are sugar and refined carbohydrates. So they are, we know they destroy our microbiome. They, um, they send our body into hormonal imbalance with insulin resistance and so forth. Um, but that's kind of one part of it. I feel that vegetable oil is a huge issue because we don't, we, we're consuming them instead of the nourishing whole fats. And, and Price found it's really the animal fats that carry these nutrients because saturated fats actually carry vitamin D and um, so half of fat in nature is saturated fat and we've stripped it out and it actually, you don't get the fat-soluble vitamins when you take these things out. You just don't. And saturated fats and fat-soluble rich foods, which are kind of eggs, you know, whole fat um you know, animals or organs. So he found organs. So you, you go into any ancestral diet and you find liver, you find um, heart, you find all these foods because they're rich in fat soluble vitamins. So when you take this out, um, you're basically eating a diet that, that's missing this big componentry that places bones um, and minerals into teeth as well. So that to me is one of the, the big factors is that we should be thinking about how we reintroduce these fats into our, into our diet. Um, and, you know, from a personal level, I've found that, you know, shifting to this way of eating has just completely changed, you know, the way my body feels and the way my sleep is and the way, um, you know, I, I, my, my immune system is, um, you know, I've, I've also grown three kids on it now. And, um, you know, what I'm seeing is that their bone density is just, you know, like the, the thickness of my son and daughter's skull, like I'm sure you could crack an egg on their skull because it's so thick. And I know that they don't have any issues with their teeth because they're, what they've eaten, you know, from, from day naught, um, has been completely nourishing their, um, their skeletal system where, the bone marrow has enough vitamin D, so it sends out the right messages to place minerals and to um, to prime the immune system, which sits inside teeth. So teeth have an immune system um, when we have imbalances. So there's this outside factor that we've been focusing on the last five, ten years, which is kind of bacteria and so forth. But it's really the body's reaction to bacteria, which our diet regulates, which is fat-soluble vitamins, so vitamin D, which is captured sunlight so when your body um when you go out in the sun you absorb sunlight through uvb radiation through cholesterol in the skin so cholesterol which comes in the diet too that goes to your liver it's all packaged up goes to your bones for hormonal messages and then your your um skeletal system and your teeth are replenished as a result for me i just feel like the modern diet just completely misses this um and it's pretty obvious when you kind of start to to think about what teeth need you know, why we need to kind of eat these things and then why ancestral cultures all knew. Actually, there's a really good way that Price put it. He said that there was, um, I think it was an Islander culture, Pacific Islander culture, and that he said that when what they did is that they made sure that a, a couple that was planning to conceive they would they would eat a, a diet rich in fat soluble vitamins. So in in the Pacific culture, they'd be high in seafoods and these amazing crabs and so forth. Um, and what what they said it would do is that they would have a baby with a nice round head. And that kind of says it so nicely is that the, the, the baby's craniofacial system and jaw forms well because it's got all the nutrients because the, the parents ate these foods. And we've just lost this kind of, you know, intuitive yet very kind of naturally um, naturally intelligent way to prime our kids to be completely stabilized in these fundamentals of good skeletal and immune health. Um, yeah. And so that's what every time I eat now, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, am I getting enough fat soluble vitamins from these foods? Um, you know, and are they, you know, of course, you know, you can have modern foods, but if we're not eating the ones that replenish the body, then we suffer the consequences. Yeah, man. Uh, it's just interesting to hear like fat soluble, like I'm assuming A, D, E, and K, like K2 is huge, like activation of the actual vitamin D3 and the actual work of the calcium as well has become so crucial. Obviously, how they work together is just unbelievable. You know, like it's like we always talk about the macronutrients and re- referencing the micronutrients becomes super, you know, just, just as important to to make sure that everyone does their job. But, um, mate, just out of interest, like, I'm, how much saturated fat do you think you consume in a day and what would you recommend, um, you know, for someone? How much do I consume? Yeah, um, how much would you reckon you day? How many grams? Look, I don't count. Look, to be honest, I don't count macronutrients, but 
it would be a, a lot over. Uh, the, the way I kind of see it is as much as I can eat. <laughs> like, I know that sounds strange, but so I would eat, you know, as much, as many foods containing saturated fat as possible. And the reason being is because I know that's packaged with, you know, so for an egg yolk, for instance, you know, the saturated fat in an egg yolk, it comes with choline. It comes with all of the, the D, A, and K2. And, um, when you when you think about how the um, the body packages these things, the the in the animal system it's the same. So you find in the saturated fat. So in an animal cut of meat. So right. So you if you see like an animal cut of meat that um, was raised on um, grass, and so it ate the the, the beta carotene from from the grass, it converted that. Um, that grass to the yellow retinol, which is the active form of vitamin A, which is super important for immune system, activating the skeletal system, works in tandem. More important is kind of the primary partner of vitamin D. Vitamin A works with vitamin D, and then K2 is the, the activator. Um, when you have the yellow fat of, of an animal, then you know it's rich in retinol. And so that, that's kind of the goal that our ancestral cultures would, would eat. That's a, and you find it in liver and so forth and all these foods that you – dishes that you find in um, – you know, if you, you, you talk to your grandparents, they'll always have bones and kind of organs in their food because that's what made, you know um, – them healthy yeah so for me i look i don't count by red i count via you know um you know basically i'm thinking as high quality uh animal foods as, as i can get and have i got that have i got some fermented foods have i got um you know the uh you know high quality you know organically raised veggies with it and you know all all cooked in fat that's that's kind of the way i i look at it yeah fair enough man it's just interesting because you hear so much around these days with um, like saturated fat and and some people obviously suggest that you know too much saturated fat is not good is, is not ideal for you and we always talk about too much saturated fat or too much anything is not good for you it's just uh this is the first time I've like revisited this area again for a while talking about you know consuming um you know being, being conscious of having more saturated fat than usual it's just again it goes down to a lot of the stuff we talk about with by individuality, man, and, and kind of listening to your gut and understanding what you truly, you know, what you truly think is right for you based on the results of how you feel. And, and now we've got obviously test kits and things like that, like Zoe, that can help us naturally understand our deficiencies and what we need to work on. Um, but yeah, man, super interesting. So with that being said, the the next kind of phase I want to talk about is is I know you touched upon dysbiosis and, and whatnot, but we've we've kind of talked about the way that, the structure of the jaw has an effect on, you know, things around, I guess, the cranium in general. But what about like as we as we go through, um, I guess, messenger pathways from, you know, the mouth being a messenger for what's going on down in the stomach, you know, preparing it for, you know, the, the enzyme activity that's going to be required to break things down, et cetera. Is there a common link between, and we touched on it with dysbiosis, but is there anything else that we can kind of discuss and look at with diseases that, you know, generally occur as a result of um, maybe not, maybe it's not specific to the diet, sorry, the, the jaw in general, but I'm sure you can look at a jaw and go, okay, well, this person's got these, you know, pretty obvious symptoms in their teeth and jawline. So I reckon this is what's going on in their gut, right? Yeah, there's, um, there's definite kind of uh, marker points. Um, and so, Actually, just quickly back to that saturated fat point because it's really it's a really good point. That was, I remember that was a big switch in my head that, um, that chemically, when you think of saturated fat, saturated means that all of the hydrogen spaces of the the carbon um, are taken up, which means it's the chemically most stable molecule you can put into your body. And inflammation is when you actually have double bonds, which are the more reactive carbons, which are the the polyunsaturated fats that actually react to things. So if you think of inflammation in the body, the way to um, decrease that and have your lipids and and every an immune system, this all integrates into your immune system, is to have, you know, your half of your membranes stably made with saturated fat. I just found that was a good way to kind of think about it, and which is, and that I just helped kind of jump that that mental hurdle <laughs> with that. So I know a lot of people that we've kind of been brought up with, and like for me, that just flipped a lot. Um, yes, but so in terms of the mouth to the rest of the body, um, the the big thing to that the mouth has taught me um, in recent years and working with um, you know a multidisciplinary 
di- disciplinary um, you know, medical dental team is that we um, you, you really need to think that hormones are the, the, the key drivers of all the different messaging systems. So um, bones are driven by hormones, um, you know, sex hormones are driven by um, you know, vitamin D-related hormones, they're driven by um, sleep hormones. Everything is driven by uh, what your endocrine system is doing. And so you have some key, um, key endocrine organs that signal through the body. One of the big ones for bones and teeth is the thyroid, um, and that's because minerals and the, the rate of your cellular processes all happen through the thyroid. And then you've got the little guy next to it called the parathyroid, which, um, which tells the body how to manage calcium. So when you have an overactive um, parathyroid, your body will start stripping calcium literally uh and in kids what happens is that if you have so uh, sorry a big problem today is that uh we have um kids with slow thyroids and in general most people have slow thyroids some people have you know slightly faster but um i when i look into mouths i'm just thinking slow thyroids especially in kids that where their their milk teeth aren't falling out and so this to me is telling me about um uh, cellular processes are happening too slowly. And then, you know, so that we have to think of the core driver of the thyroid, which is iodine. And we really don't think about getting enough iodine in the diet. Um, but iodine is one of these crucial nutrients that forms, you know, one of the main immune responses, both in the mouth, the lungs, but then becomes um, thyroxine, which is T4, the, the thyroid hormone. And so when you don't get enough thyroid, um, iodine and its support nutrients, your thyroid cannot form the right messages to then um, you know tell your body to turn over its its cellular processes fast enough, which is a really kind of quick way to talk about what the thyroid does. But then also too, you get this in, the potential imbalances with the parathyroid um, that directly impacts calcium and mineral balance. And so you know that's one of the main connectors. And if you, if you look at hypothyroidism, um, the amount of people that are subclinical hypothyroid, uh, what we're starting to do is starting to diagnose them through oral disease and then picking it up before it becomes, you know, um, a, a, an issue where they have to go on, on thyroid medications. You're going to solve a lot of problems. This, this happens right through the body, you know, adrenal issues, um, you know, with digestive problems, you have to be thinking deficiency and, um, intestinal barrier. So um, any digestive issue, we have to be thinking um, intestinal barrier um, and then looking for the periodontal clues because if you if you think about how plaque and periodontal disease happens in the mouth, what happens is you get um, a dysbiote, an unbalanced oral bacteria, bacterial community that builds up in a plaque that goes and builds up on the teeth. We get that cleaned off. Same thing happens in the gut. It goes into the villi of the um, of the uh, the digestive system, the colon or the um, small intestine, the, more so the colon. And then what happens is you get imbalance, like a plaque buildup in in the colon. And then so over time, these di- dysbiose communities destroy the um, the gut lining. So you 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 lose the the, um, the intestinal barrier and you get increased permeability of the gut. So you basically you're not filtering anything. And then your immune system goes haywire. And then so what we have in the mouth is we get gum disease. So you get this cross between um, inflammation and bone loss. And in the body, you get an autoimmune condition. So you get um, Shrogan's disease or you get uh, you can have a thyroid immune um, issue. You can have um, something like Crohn's. You can have um, you know something as serious as MS, rheumatoid arthritis. We know in the literature that autoimmune issues travel together, yet we don't categorize gum disease as an autoimmune problem. It's in this insane just thing we've stepped and stepped outside and we haven't considered that. Um, but we know that gum disease travels alongside. So anyone with gingival inflammation or uh, any kind of uh, pocketing, um, sorry, gum pocketing or bone loss in the mouth, we should be thinking, okay, there's a, there's a subsequent gut issue. And if there's any um, systemic presentation of autoimmune problems, you know, it needs to be assessed alongside the periodontal condition because it's very difficult to heal um, a gut system with when you're swallowing this disposed community all the time. So, you know, it really becomes quite simple um, when, when you kind of just see it through the perspective uh, of what's happening in the oral cavity. Yeah, dude, tells a story, doesn't it? <laughs> just yeah. tells a story, man. Yeah. I just honestly remember, I was just like a page by page in the dental diet. I was just like, wow. 
So that's why that's happening. That's just unbelievable. Um, man, like with all this being said, you know, you've got, again, it, it kind of goes back to that old, you know, adage that we say is that the, the body is so connected in ways that we, we probably don't give it, give it enough credit for. You know, you've got the hormones, as you said, message systems, everything connected to that, the gut, the way the, the short-chain fatty acids respond to the brain, et cetera, et cetera, and obviously, yeah, the way that we take on food. Um, it's all it's all pretty psychical, man. It's just so amazing. You know, like I love that. I think when, when we first got connected, I just love the fact that something's so original in, in we eat multiple times a day. Yeah, I don't think we give our mouth, our jawline and uh, our teeth enough credit to, to understand how much of a, you know, important factor it plays in our health. But um, and I'm, I'm glad we connected, man. So that's, that's huge. But um, mate, what's, um, what, can you, can you share a little bit about your, your upcoming book? Or are we going to have to do a second podcast on this one someday when it, <laughs> when it comes back out? Yeah. It, look, it's still in the works. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, I've got three kids under three or, my, my oldest is three, so it's been slow. Um, yeah, but so uh, look, basically, the what um, you know, since we've connected, like this whole kind of this movement of understanding food to the mouth, and then the um, all of the, the different flow and effects, and then on top of that is like, okay, so how do we optimize our bodies through these principles? That's what what's kind of I've been really interested in living in my in my own time. Um, you know, and what does it do when you, when you correct your breathing and sleep and, you know, muscular systems and what can you actually achieve with your body? And so the, the big connection is to your, all of the links to Alzheimer's dementia now come through the mouth. You, you get the bacteria, the oral bacteria goes straight to the brain. You get the sleep, the mouth breathing and sleep apnea, which destroys the, um, which destroys the, uh, the, the, uh, the sleep and glymphatic system of the brain when you're sleeping and you get the metabolic issues, which is the type two diabetes, which destroys the gums. And then subsequently you get the insulin resistance in the brain. So all of these things happen first in the mouth. So when we kind of understand it that way and optimize all those things, you know, we really find that, you know, the, the human body can do remarkable things. And when you optimize your mouth, you're actually getting direct connection to the brain. If, if you kind of Google the trigeminal nerve, you'll see that there's this, um, there's this huge branch going to your teeth. It's the biggest cranial nerve in the body, like monitoring your teeth. And my whole point is like, how do we optimize this connection, this neural connection that you are wired to understand what's happening in your teeth to optimize your life? So we talk about the, um, the gut-brain connection. How about we talk about the mouth-brain connection? That's a far more powerful um, link between what we are, you know, what we actually experience in the world, and then optimizing what's happening, rather than going through all the the mess of the gut. Let's let's just optimize it straight through the mouth-brain connection. Dude, that's huge. The mouth-brain connection. Just skipping skipping the gut all the time. Skip it. Mate, it's, too, it's too much too much noise going on there. So let's, let's just get to the point. Let's get to the mouth-brain connection. That's huge, man. And uh, like, I'm only attesting to the fact that you kind of touched on some key key points there. Um, it's just interesting. It's like, you know, you, we look at the the vagus nerve, and I'm equating that to the nerve. What's the name of the nerve you just noted just then, man? The, the trigeminal nerve. The trigeminal nerve. How good is that guy? Sounds like a legend. He's a bit of a weapon. The trigeminal. The general, oh, the three he, general. The trigeminal nerve is the general, literally. literally. And, and you think about how influential the vagus nerve is. The mm-hmm. vagus nerve is probably a sec- yeah, secondary when you really look at how the cranial nerves are, are kind of line up. Like even though it's so influential through the body and like with breathing to the diaphragm and so forth, but the, the, the trigeminal nerve, the nucleus sits, you know, just behind kind of um, your, your cheekbones. And it's, it's huge. It goes to your eyes, goes to your nose, goes to all your teeth. That thing literally is the general. <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh, – so if you've got the general, is it like Lance Corporal? Is that what the biggest <laughs> nerve is? So just, I'm going to have to look up the, the, the proper the terminology. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, you and uh, all, all our wonderful guard experts can have a nice little uh, – a wonderful debate over which nerve is truly more important. Um, but no, that sounds, it sounds epic. I, I do love the fact that as we, we do explore 
these different areas of our health and whether, you know, I'm sure there's a, there's a, an amazing nerve that connects to our foot and our foot can, you know, have, obviously it's the first thing that touches the ground. So I'm sure there's different factors that we can talk about, whether it be our gait movement. I know there's not necessarily your expertise, but although you probably have a better understanding than I do, but yeah, it's just really cool to see how we are truly looking into further steps of how the body is connected um, through whatever bridges and whatever means. Um, I'm looking forward to, to meeting the general a bit more, mate. So, you know, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to do some further reading on that one. And, and when, when the next book comes out, we can talk a bit further on it, bro. But mate, what's, um, what else is coming up, mate? I know you're, you're in wonderful Australia right now um, where, you know, you, I'm, I'm hoping things are starting to open up a bit so you can be, be amongst uh, domesticated fl- domestic flights and whatnot. Yeah, look, we've, you know, been going through a little bit of a constriction here, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, generally, uh, you know, we're working on, you know, the clinic concept that it's going to get this out to, you know, so people can actually find, you know, functional dental mm. uh, clinics. That's really kind of a big part of it. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of treatment out there that needs to happen. Um, yeah, but the, the message is, you know, really that, um, you know, we're going to keep pushing this, this mouth-body connection instead of, you know, leaving dental um, disease out. Um, yeah, that, that's, I've just found too, actually in, you know, since we, we first met, right. I was kind of trying to push this train back then. I felt like everyone's kind of like, yeah, I get it's important, but you know, I've got other things on, (laughs) but I feel like in the last kind of, you know, say 12 months, people have started to go, okay, there's something actually Mm. to this. We need to listen to this. Um, yeah. So I feel like the the next year or so you're going to see a huge explosion of people actually kind of connecting to and understanding how oral health is a part of, of human health. And it's going to be really amazing because everything else is going to untie a bit because I feel like we're a bit stuck in that, you know, we're kind of, like I said, with the gut health thing, you know, we're talking about these. And actually, Gates a good point as well is that there's so much posture from the mouth. So I've learned so much about how posture connects to um, your oral posture, so the tongue. So the tongue has a fascial line that goes down to the toes. That's a the really important connection that you can actually wow. influence. Yeah, it's totally. So so you breathe. So your tongue posture fixes your your lower back, your your hip posture. Your and when you do that properly, it goes right down to your toes, and that's that's a game changer. Um, yeah, and but it, you have to have the the, or, the oral posture connecting properly to the palate because you have the palate supported symmetrically, then your whole skeletal system sits nice and 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 you know helps you running, helps all your performance. Mate, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's a rat, like this is this is the thing is it's literally a black hole as you said. Like you can just go down any single. There's so much to it. No, we didn't even we like you're talking about tongue and yeah, as you said, fashion now, and we we didn't even really touch upon you know breastfeeding versus not, and I know we've we've talked about that before, and mate, this is this is just a as you said, I feel because it is such a new topic in relative terms to everything else we know about in health that you know I think you're, you you are at the forefront of you know being a messenger being a messenger for it, so there's just so many questions to ask. <laughs> It's like, where do you begin? I think, I think number one would be just go pick up the dental diet. That's, uh, you know, you can get it on Amazon, uh, wherever books are sold. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> do you have, do you have availability for people to come see your practice as well? If they ever want to fly to Australia to, to hang out with you, mate. Yeah, we're here. We, you know, people do. Um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to kind of travel, obviously, with dental work because you kind of have to be around for a while. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, people do. Um, yeah, but we're we're here um, on the central coast of Australia. But yeah, keep a lookout because we will have clinic um, concepts popping out um, in the not too distant future. Yeah, and when that does happen. The Epic Tale podcast will get the exclusive on, <laughs> uh, right. when, it, when it goes live, and we can talk further about you know all the different fascias and connections of the tongue with the big toe arch of the foot, and how everything is so interconnected, and the things that we can look at. Uh, you know, it's really really exciting. But bro, like conscious of your time, my man. Um, thank you so much. And if anyone wanted to reach out, mate, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so I look at my website, drstevenlin.com, and yeah, I'm on socials at drstevenlin. Yeah, exactly. And there's a number of different courses on on his website, guys, and um, just some really cool, you know, simple pieces of information you can take away from his Instagram. So definitely go give Dr. Stephen Lin a follow, guys. And and mate, whether it be, uh, I don't know when I'll be able to be back in Australia, but um, next time I am, I'm, I'll be sure to drive up the coast and come for a surf and um, you, can, you can check out my teeth and make sure I'm on the right path. 
Yeah, we'll have to ch- have to check those uh, that tongue posture and uh, <laughs> have it, have it. connections to the, to the neck and toe, mate. Mate, I've got to make sure my uh, my chai my tri generals on point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah, if you you feel amazing once that once that thing's firing. <laughs> mate, thank you once again for being part of the Epic Table. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it.